Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 8 ud af 10 personer har haft hovedpine i løbet af det sidste år. I Ibren lindrer lette til moderate smerter, også hovedpine i op til 8 timer med to tabletter. Ibren er et lægemiddel, der indeholder ibuprofen. Væsentlige bivirkninger af maveblødninger, mavesår, hudledelser og allergiske reaktioner. Læs mere om Ibren på indlægsedlen eller emballagen og kontakt din læge eller apoteket, hvis du er i tvivl om noget. Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most. Because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the case of Penelope Edwards and Troy Dunn out of Prescott Valley, Arizona. Let's get right to it. March 13, 2012, began as a normal day for Arizona State Trooper Matt Bratz. He was monitoring traffic on I-40 near Flagstaff, Arizona, from the median. According to court documents, around 4 o'clock p.m., he noticed something a little strange about a white Ford Taurus traveling eastbound on the interstate. The driver seemed nervous. He was staring straight ahead, both arms locked out, with a white knuckle grip on the steering wheel. It wasn't anything huge, and maybe the man was just nervous. I don't know about you, but I start to sweat a little when I see a law enforcement officer of any kind, even if I know I've been doing the speed limit and I know there's nothing illegal on board. But this must have seemed more than just your average nerves, or this trooper was gifted with ESP. Either way, he pulled out and followed the car. And bingo, the driver failed to change lanes for a stopped emergency vehicle on the side of the road. So the trooper switched on the lights and made a routine traffic stop. But it turned out to be anything but routine. I mean, it started out that way. Sure, the guy seemed nervous. He was breathing heavily and his hand shook as he handed the officer his license and registration. But everything checked out. His name was Kenneth Thompson II, and he lived in Missouri. His license was good. He had insurance. No warrants. No reason to suspect anything nefarious was going on. Trooper Bratz gave him a warning and was just about to let him go. However, while everything checked out, he did notice what he later testified to as a solvent smell coming from the vehicle. And Thompson had been argumentative about rolling the window down and stepping out of the car. All small things that could have a harmless explanation, but the trooper couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. 
So just as Thompson began to walk back to his vehicle, Bratz asked him if they could chat a minute and he could ask a few more questions. And Thompson agreed. During this conversation, while the trooper was asking basic questions, Thompson blurted out a story that must have set off a symphony of alarm bells. According to AZ Central, he told Bratz that he had stopped by a wildlife park around feeding time, and as a worker flung meat into the cages, he ended up getting blood splattered on his clothes and had to change pants. Um, why was this guy bringing up bloody pants? The trooper then asked for permission to search the vehicle, because why wouldn't he at this point? But Thompson refused. Although he did agree to allow Brat's drug-sniffing canine to do a walk-around. The dog alerted near the trunk, and the trooper informed Thompson that the dog's alert gave him the authority to search the vehicle, but he'd have to wait for backup. The wait must have made Thompson thirsty, because he asked repeatedly if he could grab his water bottle out of his backpack. Trooper Bratz didn't allow this fool anywhere near the car, but offered to get it for him. He unzipped the backpack, but there was no water bottle. However, there was a gun and a hatchet covered with fresh blood and what appeared to be a long human hair stuck to the blade. Needless to say, Thompson was detained, and after backup arrived, the troopers conducted a full search of the vehicle. And man, oh man, it wasn't looking good for Thompson. According to court documents, the troopers found blood-stained clothing, road flares, two gas cans, a watering can with acid residue dripping from the spout, two cell phones, a belt with an empty knife sheath, various bags, packaging, and receipts for all these items minus the cell phones, but including the backpack, which had all been recently purchased at multiple stores in Prescott Valley. As the troopers found the murder kit in Thompson's car, he asked them a rather interesting question. He wanted to know if Arizona prisoners were granted conjugal visits. I mean, priorities. The weird zoo story, the murder kit, the blood and conjugal visits. Trooper Bratz immediately contacted dispatch to see if there had been any unusual activity in the area. And there had been. In fact, earlier that day, first responders had been dispatched to a home in Prescott Valley for a fire. After the flames were put out, they had discovered the homeowners' bodies. The homeowners were Penelope Edwards and Troy Dunn otherwise known as Thompson's sister-in-law, Penelope, and his sister-in-law's fiancé, Troy. But this wasn't some tragic accidental fire, and neither of the victims had died from smoke inhalation or anything relating to the fire. They had been murdered. And neighbors had reported seeing a white Ford Taurus leaving the scene. A white Ford Taurus just like the one Trooper Bratz and his backup had just searched. What started as a routine traffic stop had very quickly turned into a murder investigation. Thompson was arrested and taken to the police station for questioning. 
The interview was conducted by two Prescott Valley police detectives. And the story told by Thompson in that room was more fantastical than the one about the bloody pants and the zoo. But before we get into that, let's establish a bit of family history. Kenneth Thompson was married to Penelope's sister, Gloria, and the two shared a home back in Missouri. Penelope had two children, a daughter and a son, that shall remain nameless and for their protection be referred to as female child and male child throughout this episode. Penelope had previously struggled with substance abuse issues and, according to court documents, had failed to report the male child's father for sexually abusing the female child. It gets a little murky since names are redacted in all the reporting and in most court documents, but it appears that the female child didn't have the same father as the male child, and neither of the children belonged to Troy Dunn, Penelope's current fiancé. Regardless, they were serious accusations, and as a result, both children were removed from Penelope's care and placed with their maternal Aunt Gloria, the one who was married to Kenneth Thompson. They stayed with them from 2004 all the way up until 2008, while Penelope served out a prison sentence in relation to failing to report the abuse of her daughter. After serving her time and remaining sober, Penelope's children were returned to her. It seemed she was working hard to put the pieces of her life back together and to raise both of her children. And from all accounts, it appeared things had been going well. Gloria stayed in contact with the children through text messages and emails. And with that established, let's get back to that interview and fantastical story Kenneth Thompson told investigators. According to court documents, Thompson claimed he had traveled all the way from his home in Missouri to Prescott Valley to convince Penelope to allow him to take the male child back with him to Missouri for the summer. It was to be an anniversary surprise for his wife, Gloria. So he left without telling her and hauled ass to Arizona. He made it to the home Penelope and Troy shared. And just as he arrived, he heard screaming coming from inside the house. Ever the hero, he rushed inside to find Troy attacking Penelope with a hatchet which according to Thompson, Troy then dropped, and then somehow managed to continue the attack with a knife. As Troy stabbed Penelope, Thompson claimed he then picked up the hatchet Troy had dropped and killed him with it. After he killed Troy, he followed Penelope out of the house through the back door where he watched as she collapsed and died. He then stated he had placed the knife and hatchet on the victims to, quote, save you guys a step. Or, in other words, he had staged the scene to go along with his cockamamie story. Thompson claimed he then panicked because he was a prior felon and didn't think police would buy his story. I mean, I don't think they're buying it either, but his prior felonies rank pretty low on my list of reasons why. Thompson then claimed he poured drain cleaner on both of the victims' bodies 
in an attempt to destroy DNA evidence, and when that didn't work, decided to use diesel fuel and flares to set the house on fire. Because innocent people always need to destroy DNA evidence. Shockingly, investigators didn't buy this story. They wouldn't have bought it even if it was at the bottom of the bargain bin. And not only did Thompson's story not make sense, his half-ass attempts to cover his tracks were about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. The evidence discovered in his car and at the scene alone were enough to paint a pretty clear picture of exactly what had happened. Timestamps and all. But it got better than that through testimony of a taxi cab driver and Thompson's own wife. With a quickness, the pieces of the puzzle were all arranged and detectives believed they knew exactly what had happened and when. And it went something like this. According to court documents, on March 11, 2012, his wife Gloria had been upset when she learned that the female child had planned a trip that Gloria believed placed her at risk of engaging in sexual contact with an adult. And further was outraged to learn that the male child had been committed to the psychiatric department of a children's hospital under the care of medical professionals after an altercation with his mother, Penelope. He was there getting therapy and help under the care of licensed professionals. I just want to make that clear. And I also want to point out that there is no documentation that these allegations about the trip placing the female child in danger were ever substantiated. However, Gloria voiced her concerns to Thompson and discussed the possibility of hiring an attorney and attempting to have the children placed back in her custody. You know, going the legal route? She couldn't have imagined at the time that venting her frustrations to her husband about the care of her niece and nephew would lead to the events that would unfold over the next several days. 8 ud af 10 personer har haft hovedpine i løbet af det sidste år. Ibrain lindrer lette til moderate smerter, også hovedpine i op til 8 timer med to tabletter. Ibrain er et lægemiddel der indeholder ibuprofen. Væsentlige bivirkninger af maveblødninger, mavesår, hudledelser og allergiske reaktioner. Læs mere om Ibrain på indlægssedlen eller emballagen og kontakt din læge eller apoteket, hvis du er i tvivl om noget. According to court documents, two days after the conversation, Thompson deposited an insurance check in his bank account and pocketed $10,000 in cash. But this wasn't to retain a lawyer, as his wife suggested. Instead, he bought and activated a track phone, even though he already had a cell service and an entire other phone. He refused to give his information when he set up the track phone. He then took his new burner phone and used it to arrange the purchase of a handgun from an unnamed individual and met this person at a gas station to pick up the gun. The following evening on March 13, 2012, he left Missouri, telling his wife Gloria that he was headed to Tennessee for a few days to conduct some personal business. 
It's unclear if Gloria had any reservations about this sudden trip, but I can guess she probably had several questions. But nevertheless, he left their home in Missouri, and as you might have guessed by now, didn't head to Tennessee, and instead went the opposite direction, driving 1,400 miles to Prescott Valley. He made the trip in 25 hours, seemingly only stopping for gas and a quick pit stop in New Mexico to pick up a GPS to help him navigate. He arrived in Prescott Valley late on March 15th and checked into a local hotel. Thompson woke early the next morning and headed to the local Walmart to do some shopping. Only he didn't drive his own fully functioning car and instead hopped into a taxi. The driver waited for him outside the Walmart while he went in and made several purchases, including a change of clothes, a camping axe, and a knife with a sheath, the kind one would need for camping or the wilderness that can be attached to a belt. But Thompson wasn't staying out in the wilderness and had a perfectly good hotel room. Anyhow, he then got back into the taxi and told the driver he was going to visit his sister, but had some apprehension because he didn't get along with her husband too well. He gave the driver directions to Penelope and Troy's home and arrived around 7 a.m. As they pulled up, Thompson seemed surprised that Troy's car was parked out front. He asked the cab driver to wait in case it was a short visit. So he did. Five minutes later, Thompson emerged from the home and said everything was fine and he could leave. Hours passed before Thompson called the cab back to the residence to give him a ride back to his hotel. At 9.40 a.m., the same cab driver arrived and took Thompson back to his room. According to court documents, Thompson then checked out of the room, got in his own car, drove to two stores and purchased drain acid, a watering can, bath towels, and a new shirt. As it turned out, he had taken Troy Dunn's phone when he left the home, and while he was out on this shopping trip, decided it was a good time to place a few outgoing calls on the victim's cell phone. It's unclear who he called or what was said. However, it appeared to be an attempt to make it seem as if Troy Dunn was still alive. He then returned back to the victim's home around 10.30 in the morning with the drain acid and watering can, but left 10 minutes later, going to multiple stores and gas stations to get gas cans, diesel, and flares. He went back to the house a third time and used his newly purchased diesel to set fire to the home. Of course, the fire was reported, and when first responders arrived, they had found Troy Dunn inside the home with significant trauma to his head and a knife lying next to his body. The medical examiner would later determine that Troy's cause of death was sharp force injuries caused by CHOP-type wounds. Investigators followed a trail of blood from inside the home all the way outside and around to the side of the house. 
where they found the body of Penelope Edwards, covered partially by a blanket with a hatchet lying across her chest. She had injuries to her head, arms, and torso, likely caused by a smaller axe or something like a hatchet. Penelope had defensive wounds from trying to fight off her attacker, and both bodies had obvious chemical burns caused by an acid-based drain cleaner, again, all according to court documents. Kenneth Wayne Thompson II was charged with two counts of first-degree premeditated murder, two counts of first-degree felony murder, burglary in the first degree, criminal damage, arson of an occupied structure, and tampering with physical evidence. The state announced they would be seeking the death penalty. Seven long years passed, and finally, in early 2019, the trial began. Prosecutors laid out their case against Thompson, and it was pretty much what we went over. The timestamp receipts showing the purchases of the knife, the hatchet, the axe, and the drain acid. The testimony of the medical examiner, investigators, the taxi cab driver, and other witnesses. Let's be real, the case against Thompson was pretty solid. And it seemed the defense might have thought so too, because they didn't deny that Kenneth Thompson was responsible for the murders. And they didn't go with Thompson's original story about walking in on an attack, killing Troy, and then panicking. They had a whole new strategy. Their strategy? It was to persuade the jury that Thompson wasn't guilty of first-degree premeditated murder of two people, but instead manslaughter. Because, wait for it, Scientology. And in fact, the defense argued that everything Kenneth Thompson had done on the day he brutally murdered his sister-in-law and her fiancé was rational when understood through the scope of Scientology. Yep, you heard me right. The brutal murder of two people. The story about the zoo catching a cab to commit a murder. All rational because Thompson had been raised in the Church of Scientology. To understand his defense, let's get a little background on the beliefs and practices of Scientology. According to Dummies.com, and yeah, y'all, I went there, fire me, but there was a simple breakdown of the tenets of the church, which gets complicated pretty quickly, so we're going to roll with it. The article explained that Scientology is a set of religious beliefs created by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard. Hubbard wrote a self-help book that explored the relationship between body and mind called Dianetics in 1950. Then, in 1953, he incorporated the Church of Scientology. Hubbard led the show up until his death in 1986. And after Hubbard died, David Miscavige took things over, according to the organization becoming the ecclesiastical leader of the Scientology religion. Miscavige holds the rank of captain of the Sea Organization 
and is its highest ranking member. As far as beliefs go, Scientologists believe that people are immortal alien beings called Thetans who have forgotten their true nature and are trapped on Earth in a human body. And each Thetan has lived numerous past lives, both on Earth in our physical bodies and on other planets. According to ABC News, the ultimate goal of Scientology is true spiritual enlightenment and freedom for the individual. Their belief is that the reactive mind, the portion that works on a totally stimulus response basis, not under the control of the individual, commands one's awareness, purposes, thoughts, body, and action. Through counseling called auditing, which is performed by higher-ranking members of the church, Scientologists believe they can reduce and ultimately erase the power of the reactive mind, a source of irrationality, fears, and nightmares. Before a person is audited, they are considered pre-clear. According to Leah Remney, a former Scientologist turned outspoken critic, as she spoke to the Business Insider, auditing sessions can cost the person being audited around $800 an hour. After auditing and multiple courses, a person can achieve the state of clear. And the stages don't stop there. Those that reach the higher teachings are called OT3s, or operating thetans. They have a state of being beyond the initial clear state. That's when it's said that they finally get the opportunity to learn about Xenu, the intergalactic ruler who implanted thetans, or alien spirits, in Earth's volcanoes 75 million years ago. According to former Scientologists, reaching this level of enlightenment about Xenu and the volcanoes would cost you upwards of $100,000 between auditing sessions, books, and classes. But your girl is out here giving it away for free. I'm all about saving you some money. Anyhow, another tenet of the Church of Scientology is its opposition to psychiatry. They don't believe in treating mental health issues with medication and instead use their form of therapy, which according to former members is a combination of auditing and vitamins. In fact, according to an article on the National Center for Biotechnology Information, Scientology has waged a worldwide war against psychiatry, which began with founder L. Ron Hubbard and continues under David Miscavige. It aims to eradicate psychiatric practice, especially psychiatrists' use of pharmaceuticals from the planet and replace it with Scientology's own techniques. The defense pointed out that this was Thompson's view of the world. According to AZ Central, Susan Rain, a Canadian professor and expert on Scientology, testified that L. Ron Hubbard identified psychiatrists and psychologists as criminals and described them as evil. She went on to describe that if a child were being treated with modern-day psychiatry, the outrage would be even stronger, stating, quote, they would see that child's salvation outcome as being in jeopardy. 
This would jeopardize the child's ability to continually reincarnate. And further, that Scientologists believe medications that affect the brain have a debilitating impact on a person's ability to rid themselves of the troublesome thetans. A child who underwent psychological treatment, Rain said, would be considered a degraded person, who could be on the path to be considered a suppressive person, the Scientologist term for someone who questions their belief system. Rain said that she herself would be considered a suppressive person because of her research into Scientology and that her testimony would not please the church. Thompson's attorney also subpoenaed records from the Church of Scientology and used testimony from other Scientology experts, such as Leah Remney. He told the court that when his client heard that his wife's nephew was undergoing psychological mental health treatment, he believed the child was in danger and needed to be rescued, further stating that Thompson believed the boy's eternal soul was at risk and he was being subjected to irrevocable harm because of the medication that the child was taking as part of his care plan, because this is what he had been taught as a Scientologist. His attorney stated, One of the central tenets, and it was core to the whole wider system of the beliefs, is that psychology is evil, probably the evilest thing on planet Earth. The defense argued that when Thompson arrived at the home, he acted in the heat of the moment when he killed the victims and he had gone to the house to persuade Penelope to give his wife custody of the male child. He had no plans of killing anyone and he had simply gone there to rescue the children. I do want to make a quick mention that the Church of Scientology spokesperson Karen Powell sent in a statement to the Republic regarding the Thompson case, which read, It is irresponsible and even dangerous for Kenneth Thompson's attorneys to make Scientology the convenient scapegoat for their clients' actions when there is zero evidence to support it. Going on to say, the murders Thompson committed were against the faith's moral code. While the defense played up the role of Scientology in Thompson's life, the prosecution challenged if he was even still practicing. According to Medium.com, his ex-wife testified that he had stopped practicing Scientology partially because of the cost, and others testified that he was a, quote, free zone Scientologist, which is a sect that adheres to what it claims are the original teachings of L. Ron Hubbard, dismissing the new leader, David Miscavige. But it didn't matter whether he was still practicing, kind of practicing, or had completely abandoned the teachings, because the jury didn't buy any of it, and Kenneth Wayne Thompson II was found guilty on all charges. On April 3, 2019, he was sentenced to death by lethal injection and sent to death row to await his execution. But that isn't the end of the story, because Thompson immediately filed an appeal. 
According to Fox 10 Phoenix, the appeal was filed for many reasons, the main ones being the basis for the search of his vehicle, how prospective jurors were questioned, and the constitutionality of Arizona's first-degree felony murder law. But before the Arizona Supreme Court could render a decision, according to News 4 Tucson, on December 29, 2021, 38-year-old Kenneth Thompson II was found with life-threatening injuries in his cell at the Iman, Arizona State Prison Complex. He had been attacked. At 1.04 p.m. that same afternoon, Thompson was pronounced dead. Arizona Department of Corrections Rehabilitation and Reentry Criminal Investigations Unit launched an investigation and identified two inmates who may have been involved in the attack. ADCRR has not yet publicly released the names of the two inmates, but has announced that Thompson's death is being investigated as a homicide. And although criminal convictions usually stop after the death of a defendant, the Arizona Supreme Court pressed forward stating resolution of many issues in this case would assist parties in courts in future cases. On January 19, 2022, they made their decision. They ruled to uphold Thompson's conviction and sentence and denied the appeal. Penelope Penny Edwards was born on July 2, 1976, in Bisbee, Arizona. At the time of her murder, she was getting her life back on track and wanted nothing more than to be the mom she knew she could be. Troy E.L. Dunn was born on July 9, 1973, in Louisville, Kentucky. He was a volunteer at the Prescott Valley Police Department and had dreams of pursuing a career in law enforcement. Penny and Troy had a wedding planned for the summer all according to the Daily Courier. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week and I can't wait. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.